On this episode of the Go Hunt Podcast, we sit down with avid waterfowler, competition caller, and call collector Dr. Jason Zaret to discuss his calling career, calling strategies and styles, and his preparation for the upcoming duck season. We hope this discussion will help relieve your duck depression, even if it's only for a few minutes. Thanks for tuning in. All right, Jason, we really appreciate you being with us. Uh, thanks for taking the time out of your schedule. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. Appreciate it. Um, you know, Jason, I know you have known you for a while. You've got some farms here in central Missouri around uh, around where I hunt. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you got going on for the upcoming season as far as what you're excited about. Well, it's um, I can't be more excited right now other than lack of rain, which, of course, like I said, things, things are going almost too well. Um, we hunt in north zone uh, up in Sheraton County, a little bit of middle zone down around Grand Pass. Um, we kind of have a um, few different farms between WRP, a little bit of tillable, a little bit of timber. Um, we own a little bit, and we lease a little bit, and uh, everything's looking really, really well. Uh, the, the one advantage, of course, in having a dry year like this is we've been able to get out into the WRP and control our cattails and our, our kind of undesirable species better than any year ever basically i mean we've been up there probably eight ten years now we've never been able to get into some of the areas that we're disking up right now that's a double-edged sword because you know in general our, our hunting is better when we're wet you know when we've got water and we've still got time but uh i'm sure glad to have gumbo corn instead of uh high ground corn this year the way it looks yeah it's crazy you know you have so many variables in duck hunting just on a normal hunt and then you put into when you're starting to manage properties and plan for the next season and when you're dependent upon mother nature in a hunt is one thing but for a season to get ready to hunt to have something to hunt is a whole nother set of stress and and uh things to think about i know you know all that all too well oh yeah absolutely it just it's it's kind of like your babies each each piece you're so invested in because you you work you know nine months out of the year and and if it fails or you know you get flooded out you're done for a year you know that's what happened to us last year we got that 11 inch rain and 24 hours in uh late june and and it was done all of our corn was gone and it changes the it changes the entire the entire picture of the year and, and you're done till the next year, and it's, it can be just an absolute dagger to the heart. Uh, I know that's why we, we do it, and that's part of fun of playing the game, but yeah, it definitely isn't any fun when that happens. Um, let me dive a little bit into duck calling. I know you've done um, a quite a bit of calling. Give me a little bit of a background on your history in duck calling, um, briefly kind of how you got started and where you're at with it now. Absolutely. Uh, I started, gosh, I think I was 12 years old, and Mark Twain Lake was filling up. And that's where we started uh, duck hunting. At the time, that first year, it was all kind of flooded fields and then turned into a big reservoir. And I bought my first call myself out of the back of a Ducks Unlimited uh, catalog magazine. It was a $16.95 wood call from Marshland, which is an outfit out of Kansas City. I think the largest uh, they'd won. They'd been in the duck calling competition business back in the 70s and early 80s. And it came with a uh, at the time this is how i'm going to date myself it came with a record and a book and and one call and i wore that book out and listening to it and calling and working on it and it wasn't too long a, a couple of years i was one of the main callers in our group you know adults included and so my love of calling basically superseded everything else like i didn't work on i don't work on shooting or you know blinds for me all of my um 
all of my energy was put into calling and figuring out um, you know, how they responded, how to make the sounds, how to get better. And, uh, and, I, and I thought I was pretty good for a while. And then as, as, one, as I got older and ran into guys that really knew what they were doing, I was like, oh my goodness gracious, this is, there's a whole nother world. And so eventually went to college, um, got into med school, moved over here to Columbia and uh, met up with a guy named Keith Allen and a guy named Christian Curtis. And Christian made calls at the time, and I started getting his calls, and they were just absolutely unbelievable uh, meat calls. Well, Keith and those guys, he was here uh, in school and in law school, and he was competition duck caller. And man, that was just, that was the pinnacle. That was something that I had not been exposed to. That was something that was so far above what I thought was possible in terms of the operation of a duck call. I said, man, I've got to, I've got to try this. Okay, so you got started in duck calling, and you started working through, um, kind of becoming a better duck caller, and I know I'm sure working on mechanics and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And then take us a little bit about, take us through a little bit about when you ended up and kind of the culmination there at Worlds um, of how that happened. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, you know, we're getting to know Keith. He said, hey, you, you need to go down. You need to go meet with the guy that's building your call and get something built for you. And he said, "There's, there's, you got to go see Butch. You got to go see Rick." And so that's what I did. Um, we that was kind of in the transition where we were. I was here in Columbia, and you know these guys would come over, and we would we'd have a big old VCR uh, camcorder that you'd have to put on your shoulder, and we'd video each other um, getting ready. And God, I was just I was horrible. I could not do it. So after that, I went into residency, moved down to Mississippi, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. It was a little bit of a, uh, shorter drive so I started driving to Arkansas started driving to Stuttgart and started driving to BB Arkansas and uh, worked with Butch and worked with Rick and found a found a call and a sound that that suited me and just started working just started working with these guys back then this is you know you had internet but not like not like today you know somebody can can get on right now and go to callingducks.com they can get on YouTube I mean, there's, there's Facebook pages. The, the amount of information that is available now simply wasn't there. You went to the guy that built your call and learned from him. And so I drive from Hattiesburg to BB, it was about six hours, and I'd leave about four in the morning and get there uh, whenever and work through the day and have to drive back th that night to, uh, to get back because I'd have to work the next day, but it was worth it. So I'd do that oh, every couple of weeks. And, and got better, got better. Had a good friend in Mississippi, uh, Ronnie and Josh Raggio. So, you know, finally I thought I was ready for a contest and entered a contest and got up in front of people and, and oh my God, it was, I, I'd, rather be, I'd rather be in a trauma in the ER as a doctor than get up in front of, you know, 50 people blowing a duck call. It was that, that nerve wracking. And I, I took my lumps. I mean, it was, it, there was a learning curve to it and, and performing on stage is different than being in your basement, you know, blowing into a tape recorder, which again, that's, that's what we used back then as an old school tape recorder and hit record and rewind it and, you know, go through there when didn't have these iPhones that you digitally do that. So kept working, kept working. And, uh, and finally, uh, in 2003 broke through and won the Mississippi state, uh, contest. And I was just, I'd set that as my goal. I'd said, and one day I, I'm, I'm going to be here in Stuttgart. That was that was three years uh, three years before that I'd been to the Wings of the Prairie Festival and been to the World Championship. I said, man, this is I got to get here. So finally in 2003, man, I did it and, and won that contest. And 
I was on cloud nine. I, by that time, I developed so many friends in the calling, you know, in the calling contest world. And you just hang out in the bullpen and and shoot the breeze and and develop lifelong friendships doing that. So finally made it in 2003 and got up on stage that first round and absolutely choked, squawked uh, the worst I probably ever had. Still a great experience, fantastic, and actually just made me hungrier to get back. Once you once you get that taste, got it, it. It's tough tough to get it out, and so uh, kept working and, and made it back in 2004. Well, I won the Missouri State again, and and that time had my stuff together. Much different much different experience being up on that big stage the second time, and and ended up making it into the second round. Didn't make the third round, but was real happy. I I, I blew fine, and you know these guys. You're talking about the top ten in the world, and these these guys are on another level. So, so I was pretty pretty thrilled. And so after that, moved back to uh, Missouri, and gosh, my kids uh, had had two kids by that time, and uh, new full time job, and um, director of emergency services, and you know basically life happens. When you're in it, you're like, I can't imagine ever not doing this. And then uh, life smacks you around a little bit, and you're like, "Hey, we got other plans for you." And so um, I did it for another year or two after that, and then just kind of uh, lost interest. Once, once I'd blown well and proved myself I could do it, uh, lost interest in, in in traveling a bunch. All right, so Jason, we talked a little bit about kind of what you're doing hunting wise. We talked about a little bit calling wise, and and I'm sitting here and I'm looking at your call collection. And I know that you're a call collector and we don't necessarily have time to talk about every one of the hundreds or thousands of calls you've collected over the years, but um, it, it really is a really um, quite impressive collection you've got here. What, when did you get started into collecting? Did that kind of start when you got your first call or did that start when you started contest calling or just kind of picked up a few over the years or, or, or what kind of take me briefly through that? Because, you know, the collecting is something that not everybody does, but I think everybody's interested in and kind of wants to know why or how or, or so kind of give us a little bit about what did that mean to you and how did that get started definitely um it, it kind of got started for me as i was getting into the competition game and you start going to all these contests and the contests are usually at shows and you start seeing lots of different call makers and blowing lots of different calls and man there's so many talented guys out there and always have been making calls that you you run away you're like god i love this call i love the look of this call the sound of this call and so probably, well, about that time, probably 15 years ago, early 2000s, uh, you know, right around 2000, I decided that I wanted to own one call of every modern brand, you know, so I could say that I did and know that I've used every call and know what they all sound like. And so I started out on that goal to own one of every. So I wasn't, I wasn't in the old kind of traditional calls like your hand bones and your chick majors and definitely not in the, in the old, old school, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, your Purdue's and Knowles and things like that. Um, and at one time I was, I think I was, I want to say I was a handful of calls short, two, three, four calls. So I'd gotten up over 125, 140 calls. And this was back then. And I, and I was like, man, this is, this is great. And these calls are just sitting here on the shelf and I never blow them. And I just kind of look at them. And so be like, well, you know, you know what I want? I want a, I want a gun. I want, I want a black Eagle. And so I, you know, I'd sell a few off and then buy. And it's just another thing that has kind of waxed and waned over the years. And another thing that just like, just like competition duck calling, collecting these days is through the roof. It is unbelievable now 
number one, the, the number of talented call makers, the number, the amount of money that guys spend on calls that, you know, I, I'm members of several Facebook, you know, call collector groups. And I'm like, I, I know what the calls cost. I know, uh, you know, in general, it, it's, it, it's amazing to me what guys are spending on calls these days. Uh, you know, multiple calls, expensive. And so through the years I've, I was, I'd go work with Rick or I'd go up to the butcher shop and it seemed I could never walk out of there without two, three new, two, three other calls. I just couldn't do without the sounding great, look great. And I uh, have several of my kind of original collections. Of course, everybody in my family knows what I do and what I like. And so, you know, every Christmas you, you add one or two. And so now I've got, you know, now my collection kind of revolves around, I've sold off a lot of my older stuff. Some of the, chicks and ham bones and things like that i've got nostalgic ones for me i've collected a few marshlands because that was the very first duck call i ever owned and and loved the sound and guys from from the early internet days like doc hole that was around quite a bit you know up to now i've got a lot of a pretty good uh, rich and tone collection at least for me um you know like i said in modern days now guys in, in two months will buy 20 25 calls it, it's a little bit different game now but i'm i'm really proud of it really happy with what i have and have a good kind of cross section of a little bit older stuff you know grover knolls and things like that and, and guys that are my friends i've got in uh the, the christian curse's timber calls from the very first iteration all the way through uh, these last ones that he just came out and, and, uh, you know, my friend Keith Allen makes, uh, you know, literally one, probably the best meat call I've ever blown. Got several of his from early iterations in Memphis all the way through, uh, current and those things. I just can't, I can't part with them. They're just kind of, uh, part of me now. And, uh, don't think I'll ever move a lot of these calls and, uh, the way a lot of guys trade, I mean, trading's a big deal now. And again, it's just different. It just kind of goes today's you know social media society and the availability of all this stuff is just exponentially larger than it was where you had to go somewhere you had to go to a show you had to go to a calling contest you had to go to somebody's shop to get a call if it wasn't in a max or cabela's catalog all right so what would you say jason is your most valuable call or kind of the crown jewel of your collection if you could pick one or two what where would you start with that absolutely um a great question i've got essentially uh Twin, uh, old school Westinghouse micarta, rich and tones that are are probably the crown jewel. And right there with it, kind of one A one B. I've got as far as I know a one of a kind old school Westinghouse micarta Echo Timber, um, and those those calls are worth are worth a fair amount uh, these these days, especially the, the Echo Timber being one of a kind uh, to my knowledge. Uh, last time I talked to Rick. Um, so those, those are right up there. I've got, um, you know, some, some newer calls that, that are worth as much, uh, guy who was actually my roommate when I lived in, uh, Jackson, Mississippi for three years, Josh Raggio, my God, he is, he is putting out calls that are sound great, but more important than that, just aesthetically some of the most beautiful things out there. And uh, I, I really love his calls and, and value those pretty well, highly. Too. You've got, I'm just looking at the collection right now. And, the, you know, so I see calls, but I'm thinking of people whenever I see the calls. So um, obviously you've got all the stuff from Echo. Yeah. You've got some Echo stuff. You've got Lairs. I see Josh Raggio up there. You see a little Jimbo up there with all the Mondos. you got the John Stevens stuff. Some of the old stickered R&T stuff, the Micarta stuff. 
Um, kind of take me through some of the stuff I'm missing. I see Devin Singleton call up there, um, which is a really good sound and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of like a hybrid cut down, I would kind of say, right. uh, maybe I'm wrong in saying that, but, uh, I mean, pure duck, tell me, take me through some of the other stuff that you've got up here. You said yeah, marshland. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got, like I said, I've got the majority of kind of rich and tone and echo there, but, um, kind of stemming from what I kept from my days of trying to get a little bit of everything. You know, I've got Troy Taylor up there, get some Kirk McCullough. Got RM calls, which I like. Big guys best. A um, couple Alvin Taylors that I really, really like. Doc Hull, uh, Marshland, Grover Knowles, uh, Duck Off, Cash River. Um, got Hambone and a couple Chick Majors. The uh, some Rich and Tones there. Of course, I see All one the of the. I see one of the. Uh, the Hunter's Wholesale kind of exclusive custom runs that you helped us come up with, uh, the black and gold Mizzou oh, Tiger. Yeah. That, that, that one's that's a, a slick one. That's a slick one. That one's going to be on my lanyard from day one. Obviously, I, I picked that one out when I walked in. But, um, okay, Jason, so take us a little bit through. We're going to do a kind of a quick hitter thing. I did it. Sure. Um, we do it with all our guests. Did it with Jimbo last time. Um, so I'm going to ask you these questions. You respond as best you can, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll, we'll kind of end it with this. So... If you are going out to the field tomorrow or when you do this year, take me through what duck calls are going to be on your lanyard for an infield scenario. I uh, I keep four calls on, on almost every lanyard, so I've got pretty much the gamut of everything that I want or could, can go to uh, sound-wise. So I'm going to have my, my echo um, – my, I've got an echo timber that stays on there. I've got a pure duck that stays on there. And then down at the bottom where I, where I reach the fastest – I'm gonna have my Mondo um, short that I'm gonna put a LA barrel and switch out an LA barrel and a, and a short, uh, and a regular S Mondo insert. And then a uh, RNT short barrel, which is my, kind of my number one favorite go-to. So I, I, I love the sound of the Mondo. I'm a little bit better at your traditional J-frame um, uh, running just, just cause anatomically that's, that's how the type of call that, that sounds the best for me. But uh, I like to go to that bark if we need to. The a lot of times I'll switch out one of those calls. I'll, I'll switch out that echo timber for um, a, basically it was an old mid-range call that I had. That's just one of the duckiest calls I've ever had, and just keep it that way so that if I need to get up and get a little bit um, louder and higher, then I can. And then that gives me that gives me the gamut from super super low down uh, quiet duck all the way through barky all the way through loud high. It's kind of cool. Obviously, you've got the uh, ability with all the calls you've got and, and everything out there today to kind of hit every different. And I think that's cool. You know, you see a lot of guys that get, you know, locked into one type of call. I mean, I've been guilty of it myself at times. But whenever you are able to have those that do different things and you can manipulate them the way you want to, it's, it's kind of cool what different sounds you can make in different situations. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's the calls. What, uh, you know, clothing is a big thing. What, what kind of gear are you going to be wearing? I mean, what's going to keep you warm or dry or and uh what what kind of things are we looking at there you know i it's it's kind of i don't know if it's cliche yet or not but i've been transitioning from uh kind of nat gear stuff which to be honest if i'm if i'm being honest is probably still my favorite camo out there uh into uh sick gear basically i think I, this year it'd probably be the first year that i'd wear pretty much all sick of stuff and it's it's expensive and everybody bangs on but Oh, dang, I, the, the, the older you get and the more stuff you, you run through, the, the axiom about getting what you pay for rings truer and truer uh, as time goes by. And, you know, and, you know it's, it's kind of the, 
thing about only crying once uh and and i believe that and that stuff is just good and it gives me the you know for me it gives the, that waterfowl timber pattern i use it for turkey hunting i use it for deer hunting in the blind and i use it for all around duck hunting so right. so all of a sudden now i've got you know i've got one thing for everything and and so for me and my, my oldest daughter who's 15 that hunts with me we're pretty much all outfitted in uh, in that stuff this year. Hell yeah! And, and take me take me through another big part of duck hunting that that we could t- talk about for hours. What what dog will you be running this year? Um, for the most part, we uh, I've got a couple that I'll be running. My my old girl Bella, she's uh just turned nine, I believe. She I always get her out on a few hunts. She's kind of slowing down, and I haven't been training her real hard for last year, so I don't get hard. You know, I don't get on her from breaking and stuff like that, but my god she loves she loves to go she was master hunter uh, you know right before her second birthday she's got a lot of talent but she's a, a big fat couch dog right now so we'll get her out let her have fun um i'm pretty excited because i've got a new dog um and he's been running with my good friend and um hunting partner and and really up and coming phenomenal trainer clint mann of cold tree kennels he's up in philadelphia missouri and uh that's Riggs. he's a he's a chocolate dog who my very first dog uh moose was a chocolate dog i took him all the way through uh getting a grand grand title on him best dog i've ever had you know it's kind of tough when you have dog of your life as your very first dog but uh but riggs is trying man he's he's already kind of kind of filling up that hole that's been left from from missing moose for the last few years and he's got a lot of potential I actually made the derby list this year 13 points and um so he does well in the field trial and now we just got to get him you know, I had him out the other day in a sunflower field working on a final stand and in a Invisalab trying to get ready for the uh, dove season and all that. So he'll have to transition from, from the pros into from competition into hunting, just like Colin. Kind of like the Colin we were yeah. talking about. It's kind of funny. We'll see if he can do both. I'm yeah. sure he can, though. You put polish those skills in the in the uh, retriever training circuit, and then you're you're in, in the woods in no time. Uh, so that's cool. Well, it sounds like you're going good on the dog front. Um, take me through one of my kind of my favorite parts of these these uh, questionnaires here. Take me through if you got you've got a hunt that you're going to describe as the perfect hunt. You know, you're you're looking into the next year and you're saying, man, I'm doing all this work in the off season and I'm doing all this planning because I want to hunt like this. Where is it at and wh- how did, would you describe it? So I gotta I gotta say for me. From you know, a guy that didn't discover Grand Pass till he was in college, and that I still I I love I love timber, and I've just kind of started getting into that style of hunting and going down to Arkansas a little bit, and and there certainly is nothing like it. But for me, I still love big bunches in the sun and flooded corn, and and not just that, but but layout. I, I'm not a I'm not a giant fan of pit hunting blind hunting give me a layout boat um give me an invisible man down deep in the corn hidden invisible with those mallard drakes at five yards that's to me to me that is the the ultimate is sunny sunny cold day flooded corn mallards at five yards that that's uh yeah that, that sounds pretty good to me too i use the mo marsh products a lot um since you mentioned them they're uh Man, they're slick. They uh, they allow you to get in there and, and do what you want to do. And for a guy, you know, we always look at them for people maybe that, that don't have a blind or that maybe, you know, 
it's a more affordable option, but it's funny because, you know, you've got several places and, and dozens of blinds or, or what have you, and you're still using those products. And it just kind of speaks a little bit to their effectiveness and, and kind of how fun it is to hunt out of those. Uh, the last question I got for you, Jason, if you're going to share a blind, um, with a few guys and, and you, we can take family out of it, but, but people that are in the industry that you've hunted with and, and that you're friends with, who would you like to share a blind with, uh, on a hunt? Man, I tell you, um, that's, that's a good question. I, uh, I've had the uh, opportunity to hunt with, you know, good friends of mine like Josh and uh, back when Keith and Christian had uh, their outfit down south in Missouri, I was um, uh, lucky enough to get down and go with them and had a great time. You know, a guy who's a good friend of mine that I haven't had a chance to, to hunt with for several years now is Jim Ronquist, and so hopefully we'll be able to remedy that uh, this fall. And, but I really love, what I love is developing a kind of a core group in the community that you hunt with of guys like, um, like Jody, like yourself, Joe Weimer and Clint and, and uh, some, some new guys that I just met last year that we all have different spots, but we all hunt in the same area. And it, it creates this network of information of what are they doing, where are they hitting, you know, where should we go? Hey, let's do it. Let's all go together. And and for me, that is that is super fun. Um, another, another friend of mine, uh, uh, Mike McCord. I, there's I've got a, just a bunch of a bunch of guys. I like hunting with a bunch of different people, um, but still having kind of a core group that you come back to that you all kind of have the same idea on on you know how to hunt and the calling and the dog work and and that kind of thing so that's a that's a tough one that there's there's something that we could go on for for another 15 the, uh, 20 minutes i understand and i know that's a tough one but it is always kind of fun to hear yeah. uh, hear what people say well jason i appreciate it thank you for your time i uh i sure enjoyed talking to you and i know everybody will enjoy hearing it it's kind of that time in the off season where we're all looking for something to talk about because everybody's feeling the same way but uh i appreciate it thank you very much and uh we appreciate all you do for hunters wholesale and all the support we get there and we really do appreciate you uh, having you on the podcast hey thanks joe i appreciate the opportunity and you know it's coming up we were just talking last night pumps go on in six weeks for teal season that's right and uh that it's it's a little more it's a little easier to stomach whenever you look at it that way but uh we we appreciate everybody for tuning in thanks again to jason thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time <laughs>